Welcome to When One Thing Leads to Another, a podcast that takes you freewheeling down the great internet rabbit hole of trivia. Each week we pick a starting point and then who knows where all the twists, turns and tangents will take us. But we'll be sure to unearth a treasure trove of frivolous facts that will be as fascinating as they are, well, useless. When One Thing Leads to Another is produced and presented by us, Helen and Bill Rich. Our theme music is by Justin Mitchell. This is Series 2, Episode 1. It's Christmas! Well, we've had a lovely Christmas break, haven't we? We have. I hope everybody else has had a lovely Christmas break. So do I. It seems a bit odd talking about Christmas now when we're approaching mid-January, but I like to make it last for as long as possible. Yeah, I know, you are a die-hard Christmas fan. Something I perhaps can't be accused of myself. No, you are the Grinch, which makes Christmas challenging when I uh, insist on having heart Christmas on from the 1st of December and I start watching Christmas movies from about mid-November. And it's for that reason that I thought I'd make the first episode of Series 2 all about Christmas. Fortunately, how these things go, because we jump tangentially pretty quickly, hopefully we'll be off the subject swiftly. It's true, actually, yes. It only starts at Christmas. Who knows where the twists and turns will take us? Okay, so did you know that Rotten Tomatoes has compiled a list of the 100 best Christmas movies? Okay. And do you know what number one is? Well, I have my own opinion what number one should be. Oh, go on. What, what do you think? Well, it should obviously be the Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but it sounds to me like that's not going to be number one. Um, is it Home Alone? No. Is it Die Hard? No. Is it Miracle on 34th Street? No, we could be here for a while. So according to Rotten Tomatoes, what is the greatest Christmas movie of all time? The Shop Around the Corner. Now, I would imagine there'll be quite a few people who won't ever have heard of this film, like us. So we watched the film. We did watch the film. Listeners, have you heard of the film The Shop Around the Corner? You probably have. You're probably more well-watched than us. Yeah. I'm surprised you've missed it, being such a fan of Christmas. Yeah, I know. Well, it's not. the thing is, it's not actually really a Christmas film. Christmas happens at the end of the film. It just happens to end around the time of Christmas Eve. It it kind of culminates in... The denouement. Yes, the the film was made in 1940 and stars James Stewart and Margaret Sullivan. And it's essentially a rom-com. It is. The Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan film, You've Got Mail, was inspired by The Shop Around the Corner. And The Shop Around the Corner is actually based on the 1937 Hungarian play Parfumerie by Miklos Laszlo. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Anyway, um, Meg Ryan's character, Kathleen, in the film You've Got Mail, owns an independent bookstore, which is called The Shop Around the Corner. Ah, very good. In homage to the film. You're not really a rom-com kind of guy, are you? No, I'm not. Why is that? Because I have a heart made of stone, mostly. On Rotten Tomatoes, You've Got Mail has an approval rating of 69% based on 88 reviews, with an average rating of 6.3 out of 10. The critical consensus reads, great chemistry between the leads made this a warm and charming delight. Okay, the scores are a little bit lukewarm though, aren't they? Well, however, Nathan Rabin of the AV Club disliked the film and wrote, 
takes almost two self-infatuated, smarmy, condescending, cringe-inducingly sentimental hours to reach its preordained conclusion. Wow. And called the film almost unwatchably saccharine, representing pretty much everything wrong with today's big-budget, high-concept Hollywood filmmaking. Oh, someone needs a nap. Tell us what you really think, why don't you? And Michael O'Sullivan of the Washington Post wrote... For some reason, this film made me feel like a Christmas goose being fattened for slaughter. Its force-fed diet of whimsy cloyed long before the eagerly anticipated romantic payoff arrived to put me out of my misery. Wow. I love that. I love the cynical uh, yeah, view. Yeah, he did not like that, did he? No, bar humbug. You've Got Mail, of course, was directed by Nora Ephron. Well, you say, obviously, I didn't uh, know that. Uh, you know Nora Ephron, though, do you? No, go on. Oh, OK. You don't know who Nora Ephron is? No, now you're making me feel a bit thick. Well, she was an American journalist, writer and filmmaker. She's best known, really, for When Harry Met Sally. Oh, OK. And she did Sleepless in Seattle as well. Right, so OK. So she's very much of, uh, you know, of that genre. She won um, the BAFTA uh, for Best Original Screenplay for When Harry Met Sally. OK. Which the Writers Guild of America ranked as the 40th greatest screenplay of all time. Mm, again, a little bit lukewarm, isn't it? Well, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think it is. I don't think that is... Well, if you think about all the films that's made, to be actually on that list in the first place, in the top 40, I think it's pretty blooming good. Yes, I concede. As you know, When Harry Met Sally mm. is one of my all-time favourite films. It is. I guess it uh, lays just behind Die Hard. It, yeah, probably does. So many things I have to say about When Harry Met Sally. Well, I'm all ears. The script is so funny and a lot of it is based on conversations between Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal, who were good friends in real life. And you know that famous scene in The Cat's Delicatessen where Sally demonstrates to Harry how to fake an orgasm? It's one of the most famous cinematic scenes of all time, I would say. And when she finishes, the woman at the next table says, I'll have what she's having. Famously. Delivered beautifully, I may add. Um, that is Rob Reiner's mum, Estelle. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, wow, that's a great cameo. Yeah, well, wasn't it brilliant? Um, and it was Billy Crystal who came up with the scene's classic punchline, I'll have what she's having. Oh, yeah, well, that brings to mind, because, um, um, you know, with mums in films, yeah. um, Scorsese used his mum. Oh. Uh, she's in Goodfellas. Oh. Yeah, and they go round there after they've murdered one of the guys, right. and then they go round there, and she insists on making them food. And she plays the part of Joe Pesci's mum, I think it is. Oh. But it's, that's actually Scorsese's mum. That's Scorsese's mum, yeah. that's brilliant. And I think she also appears in another Scorsese film, but I can't quite remember which one it is. But yeah, yeah, so that's quite funny that uh, when you see mums of yeah. directors in films. That's great. I think it's lovely. Just briefly going back to that scene, the I'll have what she's having scene. In 2005, the quote was listed 33rd on the AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movie Quotes list of memorable movie lines. And Rob Reiner recalls that at a test screening during the infamous scene, all of the women in the audience were laughing while all of the men were silent. Oh. <laughs> Oh, excellent. <laughs> I'm surprised it's not higher up than 33. I know, absolutely. I, I agree. I, I just love Billy Crystal so much. I think he's got funny bones. I just have to look at him and he makes me chuckle. He's, he's so funny. And, well, interestingly, David Anson provided one of the rare negative reviews of the film for Newsweek and he criticised the casting of Crystal 
saying, not surprisingly, he handles the comedy superbly, but he's too cool and self-protective an actor to work as a romantic leading man, which I absolutely disagree with. The casting of Billy Crystal for me is what makes the film so great. He's not your usual romantic lead. He's not a heartthrob. And that's what makes him perfect, I think. He's cool, he's cynical, and he's hugely flawed. He's real and he's hilarious. Well, and that's him told. Yeah, he's hilarious and that's what real women want. Not some buff macho man who grunts cliches or some beautiful hunk with the personality of a sweeping brush. Oh, that's a shame because I... I, that's exactly you've just described me really, haven't you? Well, certainly the personality of a sweeping brush bit. Right, talking of Billy Crystal, Yes. I'm just Googling him right now. Yeah. And it says here that his father was also a jazz promoter, oh. a producer, and an executive for an affiliated jazz record label, Commodore Records, okay. which was founded by Crystal's uncle, musician and songwriter Milt Gabler. Okay. Now, Milt Gabler of Commodore Records, he interestingly wrote the lyrics for um, Love, L O V E, by, uh, sung by Nat King oh. Cole. Oh. Which I thought was a nice little uh, tangent. Okay. And he also wrote the lyrics for Dankeschön. Dankeschön. Another Nat King Cole classic. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was... Um, so oh, that's Billy Crystal's that's, uncle. Uh, Billy Crystal's uncle wrote those lyrics, which oh. I think is, I think, interesting enough. That is interesting. Thank you. Um, now, Commodore Records was an American independent record label known for producing Dixieland jazz and swing but it's particularly remembered for releasing Billie Holiday's hit, Strange Fruit. Oh, okay. And so things are going to get a little bit dark for yes. just for a moment because yeah. Strange Fruit is a pretty dark song, isn't it? Um, it actually started out as a poem by Abel Mirapol, okay. um, who was inspired to write it after seeing the now infamous photo of the mm. 1930 lynching yeah. of Thomas Shipp and Abraham Smith in Marion, Indiana, mm. and being understandably horrified by it and the poem was originally published under the title bitter fruit mm. in january 1937 in the new york teacher a union magazine of the teachers union mm. and he later added music to it okay now billy holiday first performed the song at cafe society in 1939 and she said that singing it made her fearful of retaliation but because its imagery reminded her of her father she continued to sing the piece, making it a regular part of her live performances. Mm. Now, because of the power of the song, the founder of Cafe Society, a guy called Barney Josephson, yeah. he drew up some rules. Billie Holiday would always close her show with it, mm -hmm. um, and the waiters would stop all service in advance, so the room would be very quiet, and the room's lights would go off, except for one spotlight on Holiday's face, and there would be no encore. To give the song the respect, I yeah, suppose, and it deserved. Uh, yeah. it deserved. Anyway, um, Billie Holiday approached her recording label, Columbia Records, mm. about the song, but the company feared reaction by record retailers in the South, um, as well as negative reaction from affiliates of its co-owned radio network, CBS. And Billie Holiday's producer, John Hammond, he refused to record it, so she turned to her friend Milt Gabler, Mm. Um, owner of the Commodore record label and since we've discovered mm. um, Billy, Billy Crystal's, Crystal's uncle. uncle yeah and I'm reading here that Billy Holiday sang Strange Fruit for him a cappella and uh, which moved him to tears 
and Columbia gave Holiday a one session release from her contract so she could record it. That is interesting. A lot of a lot of cowardice from the other record labels. Yeah, so good old Milk Gabbler yeah. having the balls to yeah. release it. Mm. Yeah, going back to Billie Holiday, mm. did you know what her given name was? No. Eleanor Fagin. Oh. Yeah, never. I never knew Fagin. that. Fagin? Yeah, Fagin. Sounds El Irish. Oh, sorry, Eleonora Fagin. Yeah. Yeah, when she was a kid, her family were very, very, very poor indeed. And in 1932, desperate for money, um, when she was just 16 year years old, Billy decided to pound the pavements in Harlem looking for jobs to get some cash. Mm. And she described one day, we were so hungry we could barely breathe. It was cold as all hell and I walked from 145th Street to 133rd Street going into every joint trying to find work. I stopped in the Log Cabin Club run by a guy called Jerry Preston and told him I was a dancer. So he told me to dance. I tried it. He said I stunk and so I told him I could sing and he said okay sing and over in the corner was an old guy playing the piano and he was playing a song called Travelling and I sang and the customers stopped drinking and they turned around and watched. The piano swung into a song called Body and Soul. Geez, you should have seen these people, she recalled. All of them started crying. So this guy, Jerry Preston, the owner of the, of the, the club, came over, shook his head and said, Kid, you win. Nice. And that's how she got her first gig. OK, I was just Googling Abel Mirapol, the guy who wrote the poem and, well, wrote the song. Oh, OK, yeah. Strange Fruit. He was a, a communist and sympathetic to Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. Do you know who they are? No. OK, this is interesting. Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were American citizens who were convicted of spying on behalf of the Soviet Union in right. 1951. And they were executed um, by the federal government of the United States in 1953 Wow. at Sing Sing Correctional Facility in New York becoming the first American civilians to be executed for such charges and the first to receive that penalty during peacetime. Good grief. Yeah. Um, it's a really interesting story. I'll, I won't go into detail because it's it's pretty bleak, but um, it's, it's, it's interesting. And um, Abel Mirapol and his wife Anne, they adopted the Rosenberg's two sons, Michael and Robert, oh, who were okay. orphaned, obviously, after their parents were executed. So I was just Googling the Sing Sing Correctional Facility where the Rosenbergs were executed oh, yeah. in New York. And I was looking at um, other notable inmates. Oh, yeah. There was quite a lot that I, I, I didn't know. Um, well, I, did, I didn't really know any of them, <laughs> bar one oh, yeah. um, that I'd, I'd heard of was um, Tony Sirico. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Sirico, Sirico. He played Paulie Gaultieri. Oh. In the Sopranos, yeah. Oh, right, OK. Yeah, he um, served 20 months of a four-year sentence at Sing Sing for felony weapons possession. Wow. I think before his um, acting career, he was a bit of a, a, a bad boy. In fact, he was arrested 28 times before taking up acting um, for various things, including disorderly conduct, assault uh, and robbery. Oh, wow, he was a bad boy. Yeah. Um, Sirico stated that he was visited by an acting troupe composed of ex-convicts uh, during his imprisonment, which inspired him to give acting a try. Oh, OK. So there you go. That's how he got into acting. Wow. It was it was from being at Sing Sing Correctional Facility. Wow. That's a w windy old path he took. Yeah. Did you know that he was in 
Goodfellas. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. that brings us back round to that. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't. Um, I didn't know that. That's right. Oh my goodness me! This is very circular. Okay. Right? I was just looking into Goodfellas, which yeah. is a film we both love. Of course. Brilliant. You know, it's based on the the book Wise Guy, yeah. which is essentially the non-fiction book about Henry Hill. Henry Hill, his yeah. Rise to. Um, it was written by Nicholas Pileggi. Okay. Um, he wrote the book and he co-wrote the screenplay for Goodfellas. Okay. Right. Nicholas Pileggi. Who was he married to? Go on. Nora Ephron. Shut up. That is incredible. So to summarise, we started talking about the shop around the corner being the the number one movie, according to Rotten Tomatoes, number one Christmas movie. Yeah. Which inspired the later film called You've Got Mail, yeah. which was co-written, the screenplay co-written and directed Direct- by yeah. Nora Ephron. Who was married to Nicholas Pileggi. Yeah. Who wrote Wise Guy, the non-fiction book about Henry Hill, which inspired the movie Goodfellas, which he co-wrote the screenplay for as well. By way of? Strange Fruit, written by Abel Mirapol. Yes. Who eventually adopted the children of the Rosenbergs, who were executed at Sing Sing Correctional Facility. Yeah. Other notable inmate, Tony Sirico from... The Sopranos had a small part to play in Goodfellas. How about that? Nicholas Pileggi also wrote Casino, Love and Honour in Las Vegas, and then the subsequent screenplay ah, for the film. For the film, the Scorsese film. Hey, I've got a story about that. I went to the uh, the world premiere because as a uh, university student, I joined the British Film Institute and got uh, managed to swing tickets for oh. the world premiere of Casino. And um, <laughs> Did you rub shoulders with uh, Marty? Well, Marty was there, as I recall, but as I was walking in, looking out for celebrities... Her off of the Oxo Cube was walking at the same time. Linda Bellingham. <laughs> yeah, Linda Bellingham, and I thought, hmm, I was rather hoping for, <laughs> I was hoping for De Niro, but I got Linda Bellingham. You can't have everything. Beggars can't be choosers. Hey, don't knock Linda Bellingham. I love. Hey, nothing against Linda Bellingham. We love Linda Bellingham and all of her work, mostly her Oxo gravy granule adverts. <laughs> However, you can understand my slight disappointment in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you go in wanting Bobby De Niro and you come out having had Linda Bellingham. Tis true. Thank you for listening to When One Thing Leads to Another, a podcast produced and presented by us, Helen and Bill Rich. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate us and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe. That way, you'll never miss an episode. A massive thanks to Justin Mitchell for letting us use his music as our theme song. It's a track called Homo Erectus, taken from his brilliant album called The Garden of Earthly Delights, which is available to buy from bandcamp.com. Thanks also to Acast for hosting us. Remember to join us next week for another episode of When One Thing Leads to Another. Please note, all facts have been found on the internet and therefore we cannot vouch for their veracity. 